0: Many of you may remember today's guest when he shot to fame in Australia in 2011 on The X Factor. His biggest stage now, though, is facing a terminal diagnosis of brain cancer. His story and this conversation about how he's facing this diagnosis and his vivaciousness for life is remarkable. I'm Ally Hill, psychologist and founder of Pragmatic Thinking, a behaviour and motivation strategy company. Welcome to Standout Life, a podcast dedicated to finding out what does it take to live boldly amongst the busyness. And when we talk about living boldly, Johnny Ruffo embodies this infinitely. Johnny has performed on stage with international hip hop superstars Salt and Pepper. He's toured with One Direction, Backstreet Boys, and New Kids on the Block. After finishing in the top three. On X Factor in 2011, Johnny went on to win Dancing with the Stars in 2012 and shortly after arrived in Summer Bay as Chris Harrington and was a regular on Home and Away until 2016. In this conversation, Johnny shares how he has been part of some extraordinary experiences, everything from his first gig at the local Bolo to meeting Beyoncé. He also shares how his world turned upside down five years ago when he woke up in hospital to be told that he just had brain surgery to remove cancer. Johnny is continuing to undergo treatment for this diagnosis and is real and pragmatic about his prognosis. You'll hear in this conversation how personable and downright funny Johnny continues to be. One of the reasons that he is is that he gains perspective and champions the support of others, including the support of Save Our Sons, which is a charity supporting those with Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Johnny has recently added author to his list of talents with his release of his first memoir, No Finish Line. Enjoy this down-to-earth conversation with the engaging and the reflective Johnny Ruffo. Johnny, it's it's such a delight to be connecting with you, uh, and I'm so keen to dive into some of your story. Congratulations on your book! Your book called No Finish Line.
1: Thank you. How does it
0: feel to have it done and out in the
1: world? It's a little bit surreal. I get to add author now to my bio. <laughs> mm. I think uh, there's a it's it adds a vulnerability to who I am, I suppose, because there's a lot in the book that I've never spoken about before. And Mm -hmm. my overall goal was to try and help people, I suppose, that have been in similar situations or are going through similar situations to open up a conversation and just get the conversation going, uh, whether it be about cancer or mental mental illness, mental health, and just Mm -hmm. not only whether you're going through it, but whether someone you know is going through it. So just constantly talk to people, you know, and just bring up, oh, how's things, you know, just even in just chat, hey, how you been, how's things going? It's just as simple as that, that can open up such a larger conversation about, oh, you know, I'm not, not feeling great, you know, things aren't good at the moment. And then, and then try and, oh, well, what's wrong, mate? Well, what's going on? You know, you can it's, it can be that small that can open up such a large conversation, and that can prevent so many issues and and really help so very many people.
0: It is really simple, but it does come from a place of vulnerability, Absolutely. and where you talk about yeah. you know sharing some of your stories then allows the the permission or the invitation for others to be okay to sit with that. Hey, how are you going? And if the answer's less than
1: great, that that's okay. Yeah, it is okay. It's okay to not be okay.
0: Mm.
1: I just think, and, and also maybe open up yourself to somebody that you think might not be okay because then that grants them, oh, okay, so I'm going through something a little bit similar to this. Maybe this gives me the opportunity to talk about it now because that's what helped me. You know, I was speaking to a, a friend of mine and they were going through something that was wasn't ideal for them and then that gave me the chance to say "Ah, oh, you know what I'm actually I'm not doing too great myself you know I've just I've been battling with something just thoughts even I've been battling with something myself lately and then that that opened up an entire conversation that went for months and is still going on you know, I have a chance to speak to somebody that's, that I'm comfortable speaking with because a lot of the time you're not comfortable speaking with people because you think they don't understand. And if they open up a little bit to you, you yeah. think, oh, this person's opening up to me. Now I have an opportunity to maybe open up to them a little bit. So I, I think not only asking someone if they're okay, but mm. also opening up to them as well.
0: Absolutely. It provides that permission. You mentioned before that you now get to add the title author to your list of titles and, and the yeah. list of titles <laughs> that sit next to your name are, are quite long. Uh, some of those include singer, actor, dancer, presenter, charity ambassador and now author. Is there any of those titles or maybe there's another title that that resonates with you more often or sits with you? in terms of who you are
1: um i think i like personally i like charity ambassador the most because you get to help people and i feel like you get more out of giving to people than you do out of receiving and uh i have a friend who's he founded a charity called save our sons and his son has duchenne muscular dystrophy it's a muscle wasting disease so it's slowly you know it choose away at your muscles and by the age of you know 12 13 14 you eventually can't you can no longer walk or you know so you will eventually be in a wheelchair and then the mortality rate is 100 percent. so by the age of 20 to 25 you usually no longer survive after that and some mornings you know when I'm in bed and I'm like yeah oh, I don't want to get out of bed today I'm, I'm thinking to myself hang on a minute there's always somebody out there that has it worse than you so I'm like, pick up your feet and just get on with your day because you know I might have it, I might have not be in a great situation, but there's always somebody out there that has it worse than you do. So you need to take that into consideration and think, mate, you can still walk, you can still talk, you can still do all these all these things. And through this charity, uh, Save Our Sons, I've been blessed with meeting a lot of children slash adults, you know, who are at the age of maybe twenty. 22 who have Duchenne muscular dystrophy and I've, I've become quite close with them. And then sadly enough, you'll get a text message one day saying so-and-so has passed away and you just sit there in tears because you're like, I really enjoyed my time that I did get to spend chatting and just having a laugh and with, with this person. And it's sad because you know that at some point, eventually, they're not going to make it. And some of these kids, young kids, you know, there's like five-year-olds that, like, at that stage, they can still walk and they can kick a ball, and but that slowly gets taken away from them. You know, they become eight-year-olds and nine-year-olds, and they can eventually not really walk properly and and not run. And then they can't kick a ball anymore. So these things are taken away from them and it's, it's heartbreaking. And it's just, it's something that gives you strength to want to help others.
0: There's something about that recognising, even people listening to this might be going, hey, yeah, I'm going through something that's tough or something I, I wish I wasn't going through. Um, if I could have my choice, I'll <laughs> wave my magic wand. But that ability, I guess what you're describing is to the act of giving to others, whether it's through charity, hearing other stories can sometimes be the circuit breaker out of our own mindset.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I um, I try to tell my story as often as I can. You know, my, I have stage three terminal cancer. So at some point my cancer is going to get me, but I've come to terms with that. So in the meantime, I'm trying to help as many people as I can. And I think that... In doing that, you know, you can put, at the very least, you can put a smile on someone's face. You know, I recently came back from a a trip to Adelaide where I did a keynote speech. It was a brain injury awareness week, and almost everybody in the room had a brain injury, and no two brain injuries are the same. Which was their slogan. And I thought that's incredible because there was this there was this gentleman there who had a brain injury. And it was his brain knew what he wanted to say, but he couldn't say it. And he was incredibly impressive. He used to fly helicopters for the Navy. And then he went from that to driving an ambulance. And then he became a lawyer after that. And he's studying now. I can't quite remember what he's studying, but his, his story alone, he's just, I'm like, you're one of the most impressive human beings I've ever met. And he was, he just said, thank you. Mm. And I, I I couldn't believe how much he'd done. Like, and he looked somewhat young. Like, I think he would have been at least 40. Sorry if you're watching and you're not 40 <laughs> But his wife was also a doctor, and I just—I'm like, just flying helicopters for the navy would have done it for me. I mean, that would have been enough.
0: (laughs) I know sometimes we think the things that are barriers actually aren't, right? uh, And it's just figuring out a different, different way, different way around them. You said before that one of the things that you get the chance to do now is share a little bit about your story, and I'd love to sort of go back a little bit. Uh, in terms of your story, at the start of your book, you actually describe yourself as a an overactive shitster. You have an yeah. overactive <laughs> shitster gland, which I love. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about growing up in Perth,
1: yeah, uh, in the
0: nineteen nineties. Tell me a little bit about your your early early years story.
1: Um, I think having some, I have my brother. He's two years older than me and also two cousins who are the exact same age as my brother and I. So then the four of us, pretty much, we went to the same school together, we hung out most days and we just, the four of us were more or less brothers and we literally literally came up with plans and ideas to annoy the other one, like (laughs) it was just, we would shit stir each other. And this is where that comes from. Mm. so two of us would get together and any two of us would get together and think all right how can we annoy the other two today (laughs) or how can we come up with
0: you're obviously very good at it
1: (laughs) well so one of the things we used to do was if you get glad wrap or cling cling film right and you put it if you open the top lid of the toilet the toilet and then you open the seat and then you put glad wrap perfectly on it you have to put it perfectly flat though so it doesn't look like there's anything on there and just so it looks perfect and then you close the top the seat <laughs> <laughs> and then you close the lid if someone's busting to go genius right <laughs> if someone's absolutely busting to go they're not going to check they just open the lid either go straight to the top if it's a female they'll just sit down and take a piss <laughs> It's going to go everywhere. It's going everywhere, right? (laughs) And if it's a guy. You really
0: are giving away all your secrets. Well, this is just
1: one of them. This is just one of them. And if it's a guy, he's just going to go for a piss and it's going to go everywhere. And then they have to clean it up.
0: <laughs> That's the genius part of the the trick altogether.
1: The hack, It's the hack. It's like, why did you do that? So <laughs> like, who put glue on the toilet?
0: You've always got someone else to point to. That's the best all thing right? about but not me in a pack of four, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep. You said at um, the age of thirteen, you started to think about some of the options that you might have, who you're going to be when you grow up. And yeah. in particular, you talked about three options. Either you're going to become a concreter like your dad, yeah, an AFL player like James Heard or the oh. world's greatest performer like Michael Jackson, <laughs> one of those three. In fact, all three sounded really possible for you at the time. Yeah. What was it that led you down the performer path and not maybe the concreting or the AFL path?
1: I watched, I don't know if you remember, but there was the 30th or 25th anniversary of michael jackson the jackson five or something on mm. well, it was the night before 9 11 happened uh so what's that september 10th of september mm. so it was on the 10th of september they had a concert on tv and it was michael jackson and i i could work it out mathematically how old i was but my brain's not working very good at <laughs> anyhow i watched this and i was like you know what that's what i want to do Mm. Because there were so many people there, and everyone was happy. And in order to make so many people happy at one time, I was like, "That's great! What an incredible career!" Like, and being on stage, and like, and then I, there was a time. So the first performance, I, I started practicing my Michael Jackson moves like nearly every day. Come home from school, got I've got a mirror, and just practicing everything he did and literally because we had a vcr i'll record we could recorded the whole show and i'd like the VCR was in the lounge and my bedroom was literally all the way all the way at the end of the hallway it was the furthest room from the vcr and i'm like okay, run to the vcr press rewind play what does he do oh, he's doing that pause run back to my bed, <laughs> and practice just like for two or three minutes And then I'd run back, rewind, play. How does he do it? Exactly how do do he do it? Okay. All right, pause. Run back and do it. Like I would do this literally Mm. for about an hour, if not more. So nobody, had. I'd have the TV and that's it. Stay away. (laughs) Nobody's allowed to use it. And I would just constantly practice and practice. And anyway, so in the near future, after this, my auntie said, oh, we have a bowling club dinner coming up where it's like, you know, $10 and you get like a plate of, I don't know, a roast, so to speak, where there's like a bit of roast pork and you get some peas and it tastes like shit. But anyway, that was the event. And they said, Oh, why don't you come perform at it? <laughs> and I'm like, I've I only, I only do like Billy Jean one day. <laughs> and and all, at this point, all I did was just the dance <laughs> So I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, sure, I'll come and kind of do it. They're like, oh, we'll pay you to do it. And I'm like, 100% I'm in. Even better. <laughs> right?
0: I hope you got a roast too.
1: <laughs> I got $20. And um, at this point, I think I was like, I don't know how old I was, maybe 13 or 14. And my cousin came with me, one of the cousins who we concocted plans with that was my, the same age as me. And we went to this thing, I can't remember where it was, Vic Park, maybe it's a place in Perth for those of you that are from Perth listening, watching, <laughs> it was this bowls club, lawn bowls. And it was, anyway. we rocked up and we thought we were the shit because <laughs> they were like, oh, like, you know, holding one hand and like they always wanted to hold your hands oh, and they always, they always had warm hands. Like these I hate to say old ladies, but they were old ladies. These old ladies always wanted to hold your hands and both, like with both of their hands. Oh, come on, come in. And then one hand on your back, come in. And they had like a green room, which was just like the office, basically. <laughs> there was <laughs> nothing in there, it was just an office. No, he like, could sit in here. And then they had this, I think it was just a CD player. And they're like, oh, I announced, okay, and next we've got our performer. you <laughs> And I, I performed Billy Jean. Literally, literally, they put they just put the song on with like all the lyrics and everything playing from one of the. I think I had to bring the CD actually, and I just did Billy Jean to it. I had I made my own costume as well, so I had like a black uh, blazer, and I, I stitched on a piece of white <laughs> not cloth, sorry. But I stitched on a piece of white T-shirt that I cut up yep. to make the white band around his thing to do Billy Jean. I had a hat. <laughs> and I finished and they were like, yeah, they were clapped. And then I walked off and then one of the old ladies who she must've been like a secretary or something. She was important. Apparently she said, "Oh, can you do another song? <laughs> I was like, can you do another song?
0: Put you on the spot.
1: <laughs> right. She's like, I oh, will give you another $20. I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, what can I do? What can I do? Um, I said I can sing the song, and I think I sang either "You Are Not Alone" or "Heal the World." I, I can't quite remember what it was. I'm, yep. I'm pretty sure it was "You Are Not Alone." Um, so they gave me a microphone, and it was like, you, if you can't, if you went too close to the PA, it was like, <laughs>
2: it's
1: like, it was dodgy. <laughs> and I, I uh, ended up singing that. But the good thing was because it was just the CD, Michael Jackson was singing most of it, so I sort of just did backing vocal. <laughs> well, I, pre- I, I, love,
0: I love that your first performance at uh, Victoria Park ever, like Lawn Bowls Club, Bowls Club. Got, a, got an encore. Like that's if that sets right. the theme for the rest of your performing career. I don't, yeah, I don't know what else does. Like, did, did you
1: want anything? To, did you want anything to drink? And I'm like, oh, could I please have a lemonade? How much is a lemonade? Ripped me forty dollars out, like I was king, king of the pop. <laughs> And they're like, no, no, it's, no, 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 don't, don't be silly. Put that away, put that away, put that away. Put that away, don't want. don't be silly.
0: <laughs> Performers get, uh, get free, free lemonade free drink.
1: if you don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> so I finished that. I finished that song, got my 40 bucks, jumped in the car with my old man. We're out of here. <laughs> I don't want to get asked to do another one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's my repertoire. That's i go home too, and, and practice some more.
1: <laughs> so that was it.
0: If I fast forward, so obviously that performance and the encore uh, and that experience was the start of um, other things for you. If I fast forward, probably the majority of people listening will best recognise when you kind of shot to fame in 2011 after being on X Factor. What was it that led you to apply or to enter that show? Talk to me a little bit about the the lead-up to say, hey, this might be something I'll put myself forward for?
1: Well, there was a huge gap between between the two, the, the <laughs> Victoria Bowls Club and uh, X Factor. I actually, like I was still doing a lot of music in between and I was writing uh, song, my own songs and uh, I ended up joining a band called Supernova, but with an A-S-U-P-A, Nova. And like we were doing regular gigs uh, like in Fremantle, um, Subiaco. So we had like ongoing gigs and they, the band actually said, oh, why don't you try out for it? And I was like, no, 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 it's not for me. Anyhow, one day I just thought oh, maybe I should just go down there and have a look about. <laughs> so I ended up going down there and the ladies there that were taking, I don't know, what do you call it? Uh, applicants, I suppose. The lady there said to me, you are so lucky. And I was like, why? She goes, you are the last, like we shut at three, and I got there at like 258 or something. (laughs) And she said, you are the very last applicant that we are allowing through today. And I was like, oh, God, wow, thank you. Anyway, I sat there, and the wait was hours and hours. It was not exaggerating, probably six or seven hours. And the room was just chock-a-block full of people. But by the time I went through, it was dead empty. There was nobody there. And I went through, and the process, I I don't know if this is exactly right, you go through and you see a producer first. So before you get on stage to see um, Ronan and Guy and Melby and Natalie Basingthwaite, you see a whole lot of producers first. So I saw the first producer, and or there was two rather in the room. I saw them, and I assumed they liked me because they put me through. So I was either going to be somebody they liked, or I was either going to be one of those ones that <laughs> you know the, the ones. Sacrificial
0: that, <laughs> lamb, do you think?
1: <laughs> or the sacrificial lamb, and I'm like, well, hopefully I was just. Good. I sang Summer of '69, and Good I choice. Thought, I thought this is, it's not an imposter, like it's not the hardest thing in the world. It's not the easiest thing in the world, but it's also not the hardest thing in the world. And I thought I did a fairly a good job, in my opinion, <laughs> if I do so, so myself. <laughs> and then I got through to like the, not the heavies, but, you know, like the higher up producers, like an executive producer. And there was a vocal coach in there, which I didn't find out until I actually made it through. <laughs> and... I made it through that stage. And from there, they put you into your categories. So I was in the under 25 boys. Jeez, that was a long time ago. I'm 34 now. It was at least nine years ago. Now, what are we in now? 2022.
0: Yeah, 11 11 years ago.
1: Yeah. So that puts me in the under 25 boys. (laughs) Makes sense. Uh, And yeah, I was put in the under 25 boys. And they didn't tell us who our judge was at the time. So they mm-hmm. put, they had whittled us down to maybe 20 or 30. I can't quite remember, but it was a not a huge amount, but not a tiny amount. And so they put us in a room and they had these doors and they're like, oh, we're going to show who your judge is now, you know, like wind it up a bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the doors opened and then Guy came through and we're like, oh, Guy, Sebastian, you know. So, and then we had to perform in front of Guy and one of the Veronicas. And I think we got, at this stage, initially we got to pick our first song and I chose With You by Chris Brown. Mm-hmm. And I got through that round. So then they halved us again. So it must've been, it might've been 32. So they halved us to 16. Yeah. You know, I don't even remember what the numbers were. Anyhow, um, how many were there in the, tv show there were 12 weren't there
0: yes yeah
1: they got through about that sounds about right (laughs) so i sung with you by chris brown and guy put me through and then we had a choice of three songs yeah i don't remember what the other two songs were but i sung um a lady gaga song
0: yeah jim glory yeah
1: yeah that's the song that i sung and i got through so from that point, then we got to home visits, which were where you travel to the, you're supposed to travel to the home of a superstar. And we got flown to New York, and I'm thinking, God, this could be anyone. Like, and guy kept winding us up. He's like, ah, oh, it's a pretty big artist. Like, ah, and then he was like, ah, it's not that big. Like, he was just winding us up the whole time. Anyway, it ended up being Beyonce. So we got to meet Beyonce, and we had to sing in front of Beyonce. And I'm like, God, I'm pretty nervous. Like, because there was, I knew that I wasn't the strongest singer in our group.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, there were singers in our group that were incredible. I was just like, God, like, I I'd had no vocal training or anything, just because growing up, like, I had a single mum living in housing commission, so we didn't have the money to go and get vocal training and all the rest of it. So it was just me at home running back and forth up the hallway watching videos and trying to practice and <laughs> that's, that's my training. Yeah. And like having to sing in all of a sudden from that, then you have to sing in front of Beyonce. I'm like, Oh God. <laughs> so I'm
0: what did that feel like for you? What, what was the?
1: Exhilarating. Like you're already nervous. Like I was nervous singing in front of Guy and then all of a sudden I've got to sing in front of Beyonce. It's like, Jesus Christ! I'm like, man, could you make it any more difficult <laughs> to try and get through to the next round? You have to sing in mm-hmm. front of Beyonce and impress her enough just to get through. And I'm like, oh yep. man, no, nah, I'm off. And I was so nervous. And when I I sang, I sang an Usher song called "Burn." I think, yeah, I sang "Burn." And you had a little rehearsal with, because it was a, an, a, you had to sing an acoustic version of it. And I sang it first, the first time I sang it, the acoustic guy messed up the chords and I'm like, I just stopped. And I'm like, oh, and I, <laughs> oh, and I just said, um, the, uh, the, the guy played the wrong chord. <laughs> Luckily, guy had my back. Because guy was like, actually, yeah, he did play the wrong chord, and I'm like, oh, thank, thank God. <laughs> and I'm like, um, can I have another go?
0: Can We start again,
1: <laughs> right? And they said, yeah, but you're gonna have. Can to I get do a lot. lemonade? <laughs> where's my tw- Where's my forty bucks?
0: That's right. That's right.
1: Where's <laughs> my microphone and my and my squealy? <laughs> <laughs> So they had, they're like, yeah, you can do it again, but we have to do like filming you walk in again as if it's like from the start. And I'm looking at this guy yep. and don't, don't mess it up again because I'm coming after you. If you do. <laughs> so I sang it and I thought I did okay. I didn't think I did great. Like I was a little nervous. I'm not going to lie to you. Beyonce's, mm. you know, Beyonce. A big deal. She's not a nobody. <laughs> so luckily, um, he didn't mess it up this time <laughs> and yeah. And then guy, he does this, like, he's just, he's a bit of a joker. And he did this thing to me where he's like, oh, if you don't make it through, what are you going to do? Are you going to just quit music altogether and stop doing it? And I'm like, oh, no, nah, I'll still go home and still work on it and keep going. And he's like, uh, oh, well, um, you made it through <laughs> and I was, I literally started crying. Mm. And I was just so happy to get through. So that that was when I made it to the top twelve with yep. Declan and Reese. Pretty sure it was just those two. I don't know if there was another under twenty-five boy. No, it was just myself, Declan, and Reese. And yeah, so that that was the music. I still did. I did six six years of concreting still prior to that. <laughs> so. Yep. I did a bit of Take that one off. <laughs> yeah, right. Done. A <laughs>
0: little bit of AFL. Yeah.
1: Ex-
0: extraordinary. What? Um, what? No doubt came along parallel to that was the public exposure. So yeah. starting to be recognised, be be known, um, and all of that can come with some really great highs, but it also can start to put you in in the spotlight. How did you navigate that uh, when you started being seen or known as, as Johnny um, and, and the impact of that?
1: Initially, I uh, look, unfortunately there's not a handbook that tells you what to do or how to navigate through that, you know, and I don't think I navigated my way through that the best I could have. I, uh, the problem is I think I was, I was 24 maybe. Twenty-three.
0: Yeah, what did we say, 11 years ago, so 24,
1: 23. Yeah, and at 23, everyone's like, oh, you turn, you've turn, become a man at 18. I'm like, no, you don't. You're not even a man at 21. Like everyone becomes a man at different stages of their life. And I wasn't a man at 23. I was still a larrikin, you know. I wanted to go out, get girls and, you know, have fun. I was out drinking and partying and I just made, I don't know if I'd call them mistakes, but I was just making decisions that probably weren't, uh, I I don't know how to explain it. I just wasn't making decisions that were aligned with who I necessarily was. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to know, it's hard to know initially that they're the wrong decisions because the people around you are loving it, you know? Oh, Johnny Ruffo's hanging out with us. We're going out to a bar or we're going back to a, a hotel room or we're going back to wherever. And you think that these people are your friends, but they're just fair weather friends and they're not your friends. Mm. They're only there because you're paying for everything or you're, you know, you've got a name for now. Yep. And it's just because I was living in Sydney. And all my friends, my real friends and family were in Perth. So it was difficult for me because you can get a bit lonely, you know, when you're, when you've just, when when you've gone from being a, an everyday concreter to then being somewhat of a household name, you're like, okay, well, I'm sitting at home tonight. i don't like, what do I do? And you, you go out somewhere and you, you do meet people and then you hand your number out and you get all these phone calls. Oh, come out tonight! Come out tonight! And I'm like, I'm sitting at home, and I'm like, well, why not? I'm sitting at home doing nothing. I'll go out. And then you sort of get led down the garden path, and all of a sudden you're you're in a room with you know thirty people you don't know in some penthouse somewhere, and you're up to no good, and you're just yeah.
0: As you say, it doesn't come with a doesn't come with a handbook or a guide. Um, this, and... Yeah, don't
1: trust this person.
0: It's a new, it's a new experience. Right. Uh, navigate, navigating that. Um, not only have you done the and been known through X Factor, but then you're acting on uh, Home and Away. So again, that it just in boosts terms your profile as well. Being in the limelight, boost your profile. What are some of the, I guess, nuggets of wisdom now that you have in terms of navigating media profile? Um, who you are, or maybe it's a sense of um, knowing who you are now, as opposed to then. As you say, early twenties, I think is true for most of us. We're still figuring out where we are in the world, yeah. where we fit, what matters, what's important. Um, and just naturally, at thirty-five, we start to, you know, put a bit of a sense on. Oh, okay, that was that was interesting. There were some interesting choices I made. Would I go back yeah, and make right. them differently? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> they were what they were, uh, but. I guess what nuggets of wisdom has that experience, I guess, given for who you are now?
1: Let's just see. It's be careful who you trust. For me, the big one was be careful who you trust and be careful who, you, just be careful who you th- think are your friends, like your real friends, because it's, it's difficult to, and it's difficult to know. It takes a little while to, like, it, it takes years to become good friends with people. Like it doesn't happen overnight, and I just, for me, I, I was just lonely. So I would, if, if someone wanted to be my friend, I was like, yeah, I got another mate. And I think that's where I made a mistake: was just allowing anyone and everyone to be like, yeah, just join the crew, just become part of the the whole, part, you know, the whole entourage of fun.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: This is great, you know, jump jump on board. We've got another another few carriages back there we can fit more people on.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, but sometimes that, yeah, as you say, that real connection to to friendship and what matters to you can be part of that that wisdom. I want you talk a little bit now about, and you mentioned before about your diagnosis of, a brain tumour. So back in 2017, you experienced some really severe headaches and your girlfriend noticed that something was kind of wrong with your speech and took you to emergency uh, where you had, you know, through a range of different tests where they found uh, this seven centimetre tumour in your brain and operated fairly quickly on that. In the book, you describe not not actually really knowing that you'd had this diagnosis until after the surgery. do if you can take me back or remember what that experience was like, was hearing doctors and nurses telling you what you've just been through, um, maybe when you had the morphine in you and then once the <laughs> morphine started <laughs> <laughs> dissipating out of it, uh, for you to kind of really wrap your head around what had just happened.
1: Yeah, I... Well, I was on the couch, I remember, actually that's probably all I remember is being on the couch, and then Tani asked me, how long do I leave the eggs in if I want them? She was boiling some eggs and she wanted them mm-hmm. perfect, and I'm like, okay, "Every egg's, firstly, every egg's different. <laughs> I know this now. Like, you know, the size of the egg, and I don't know how much yolk is in there. I'm like, oh, I don't know, put some salt in the water and... Put a bit of oil in the like I was trying to say, this is what I was trying to say. Put a little bit of oil in the water and salt and mm-hmm. and I'm just like, well, salt oil, salt water, boil, boil oil, boil, water, oil. Like I literally could not string a sentence together. So yep. she's like, No, nah, something's wrong. Get up, get in the car. So this is what she tells me anyhow. And I just, like, next thing I remember, I'm waking up from surgery. Like, I don't remember anything. The only thing I do remember is being in the emergency department and running into the bathroom, needing to throw up. And I didn't make the toilet, so I just looked across and I saw a bin. And I thought, yeah, it looks good enough. I just threw up in the bin. And then I came out Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I told some guy, that looked like he had, like, nursing nursing clothes on or doctor clothes on. You know, just one of those blue things or something. I said, oh, I just I threw up in the bin. Probably cleaned it up. <laughs> and then, yeah, I just – I remember being put in a bed and they said, oh, we've got him on strongest uh, anti-nausea medication and the strongest – I don't know, they had me on some strong shit – morphine and – By the way, morphine's not bad. It just knocks you out. You know they're like counting back from ten and I'm like, I bet you I'll get to one. You get to nine? Ten. Nine. Like like I always I'm always a smart answer them. I'm like, I bet you I'll get to one. (laughs) Like (laughs) ten. Nine. Uh, out of it. so this all happened and then I woke up and I um I had a nurse his name was Elliot <laughs> and he's like I'm like I'm looking around I'm like
2: where the fuck am I I'm
1: like oh, I'm looking around I'm like where am I and this nurse came over to me and he's like oh hi my name's Elliot you've just um been through a very uh intense surgery you had a a uh, seven centimetre brain tumour, the size of a tennis ball or cricket ball. I can't remember what he said. Some sort of ball, sporting <laughs> code.
0: It's how they measure tumors. Yeah, right,
1: isn't it? was <laughs> a <laughs> golf ball. <It's>, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, um, yeah, you're in ICU and I'm like, oh, okay, where's my phone? <laughs> First thing I'm, where's my phone? He's like, oh, your girlfriend took it with her. And I'm like, how am I supposed to call her? <laughs> I was talking <laughs> shit. He's like, oh, I, I've got a phone. You can use my phone. I'm like, but I don't remember her number. And I'm like, can I use your phone? The only number that I could remember was my dad's number. But his number hasn't changed in 100 years. So I three double 3995. I can't remember it now. <laughs> and I called him. And at this point, Tani had called everyone and everyone's like scrambling to get here because I'm in hospital with a brain tumour and I'm going to die. And, wow, that's what I assumed they all thought. <laughs> so everyone's mm-hmm. rushing from Perth to fly here. And Tani's mum had flown down from Byron. So she was the first to get here. And my cousin, once mm-hmm. again, who came to me to the yeah. The Michael Jackson gig where I got forty bucks. I've still got that forty bucks to this day. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> hope you still get
0: free lemonade.
1: <laughs> only at the Vic Park Bowls Club. <laughs>
0: That's right, and only if you perform.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. I charge a bit more than the twenty bucks these days, though, guys. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to do it for you guys at twenty bucks. The first gig I ever got. <laughs> So everyone's so rushing. So the family's
0: here. gathering. They know the story. Yeah. You're in a morphine kind of haze going, oh.
1: When you've got a brain tumor, it's it's not like so and so's got a brain tumor. You're like, shit, this is not good. Right? You're not thinking, ah, are we fine? Yeah. He stubbed his toe on a corner of his brand new table. Chairs, it'd be fine. It's automatic, you're like, shit, shit's about to get real. Like we need to get there immediately. Yeah. So my brother mm. flies here. My cousin's the first one to get in. He's literally my Antani called him first. He's a chippy. He's drop tools, full of sawdust uh jumps on a plane drives from work to the airport full of sawdust he goes it was the most uncomfortable flight i've ever been on not only because he's just got sawdust everywhere (laughs) but because the whole flight over like four and a half five hours he's just thinking fuck man my cousin like i don't like he's just probably in tears the whole flight over
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: And he was the first to get here out of everyone because he got the red eye, I think. And Tani's mum was actually the first person to get here because she lives in Byron. So it only took her like an hour to get here. So she was the very first to get here. And I don't actually know what happened here. So I'm maybe making some of this up. (laughs) This is what I recollect from being told several times from Tani and Everyone. Uh I'm in I so Elliot Elliot gives me his phone and I ring my dad. He doesn't answer, as per usual. It's just useless like that. And I leave a message. Dad, you gonna leave what's happened. <laughs> like I'm all chirpy about it. Yeah. <laughs> well you're not gonna believe what's happened. I'm just I've said brain surgery. I'm <laughs> all chirpy about it. And it's just a brain surgery. Oh you gotta get here, you gotta get here. <laughs> And they're already on their way. They're probably on the flight, hence why he didn't answer. Mm. I think he may still have the, the, uh, the, message. the voice message.
0: Yeah, wow.
1: <laughs> and so I start, after I make the phone call, um, Elliot tells me, oh, I've got Tani's number here. Well, why didn't you tell me that before? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I ring Tani. It's like 2 a.m. in the morning. And I'm, like, annoyed for some reason that she's not there. It's like 2am yep. in the morning. She probably wanted some sleep. And also she didn't know I was awake.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: Uh, so I'm like, where are you? She's like, I'm at home in bed. I'm like, why aren't you here? She's like, do you want Chris and I to come down? I'm like, well, that'd be nice. you a real asshole. <laughs> I'm like, well, that'd be nice. Being just an asshole. And she's like, well, we can come down if you want. And I'm like oh yeah i'm like earlier can they come down because it's like i see you like you know they have visitors at 2am in the morning and then i handed the phone back to elliot and they she obviously spoke much nicer to him than i was speaking and Elliot's like look yeah you can come down but you have to be extremely quiet And all the rest of it, he was like, oh, come in the back door. And so my cousin Chris was staying at my place. Mm -hmm. And when they got to the hospital, they went to the back door, but it was locked. So my cousin Chris kicked the door in (laughs) to get into the hospital. And they came in. And then I was so loud, apparently. I was so loud like hey like it was a party like you finally arrived (laughs) and i just was like unbelievably loud like waking up the other patients (laughs) and elliot was not happy about it and so they stayed for maybe like 45 minutes to an hour and then and then elliot said look we're gonna i'm gonna have to ask you to leave he's being like really loud and disturbing the slumber of the other patients. <laughs> and then I remember, I don't know when this happened, but I remember Elliot claiming that, do you follow any sporting codes?
0: Yes. How you feel?
1: Okay, good. What? Who do you follow?
0: Sydney Swans.
1: Are you based in Sydney?
0: Uh, grew up in New South Wales, so I'm on the Gold Coast. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. So the Suns are our second team, but uh, Suns.
1: How are they doing? <laughs> oh, they
0: were doing okay, but let's talk about the Swans if you're <laughs> <laughs> I'm, well. es- I'm an Essendon <laughs>
1: supporter, so it doesn't matter.
0: <laughs> <Rightio>.
1: <laughs> Anyhow, so Elliot says, Oh, I went to school with Joel Selwood, who plays for Geelong. And then I'm just like, shut up, like at the top of my no, you didn't like just brushing off his claims. Like there's no fucking way you went to school with Joel the Joel self. <laughs> like just like nah, dismissing his claims. There's nah, you didn't. You did. And I no, you didn't. You just didn't.
0: <laughs> the shit stirrer, even even post surgery. <laughs> He's like, no,
1: I did. I did. Yeah, right. <laughs> Still full of. Probably God, God knows what. <laughs> I'm like, call him then. I'm like, call him then. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's right. I want proof. I want to know. <laughs> yeah,
1: just because I went to school doesn't mean I have his number. Oh, anyhow.
0: No doubt that was, and you described for your family and friends, no doubt a traumatic experience that when you hear the words brain tumour. Um, yeah, it's, can't if be it's good. it's coupled with the word cancer, you don't, there's not a, a good side of that. You you think the worst. Um, and come through that, that was 2017, came through that with um, treatment but have had reoccurrence of uh, that brain cancer. You mentioned before that that you have come to terms with the terminal nature of your cancer. Yeah. Talk to me about what has helped you to come to terms with that because that's not... That's not just a mindset. It's not something that that happens over a morning tea. Yeah. What's helped you come to terms with
1: that? Initially, look when when the, they found out the pain, they found the tumor, they still had to run tests, so it wasn't automatically mm-hmm. cancer. Um, when I was told that it was cancer, I feel that, like it was like I was like building up to. Like, oh, I wonder if it's cancer or not. I hope it's not. I really hope it's benign. And mm. then they started just going into, like, treatment plans, mm. and I'm like, what? So it's malignant? And they're like, yeah, as if I'd already been told. I'm like, right. oh, okay. And then I had still had to process it for a little bit, and I'm like, ah, I've got brain cancer. <laughs> and these guys are talking about treatment already. Yep. Um, so I'm like, okay. And they're like, okay, we're going to do six weeks of radiation, and then we're going to do 12 months of chemotherapy. And I'm like, God. Ah, i've just found out that it's cancer (laughs) i've just literally just found out that it's malignant and i think Mm. that the oncologist at the time had maybe figured that the surgeon had told me already right and i was just i was like i came in here to find out (laughs) whether it was cancerous or not not what treatment i was doing (laughs) Mm. so but, yeah, look, um, the terminal nature of it was, uh, I don't know, I think the, the worst thing to do for anyone out there who has any type of illness is Google anything <laughs> regarding your illness. Yeah. As soon as you jump online, it's like, I jumped online and Googled my type of cancer and it's like, no, you have three years to live, and I'm like, wonderful. But I've lived five years, so I've already beaten that. Yep. Ew. So Take I'm already, that, Google. Right, I'm already <laughs> here, right? Stick that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> so you might need to update your... Uh,
0: <laughs> That's right. Doing another...
1: <laughs> update your Wikipedia. <laughs> what? You get any information from Wikipedia? <laughs> uh, so it's, it's one of these things. It's case by case. It's... Mm. Like I could live for 30 years. And then I'd be sixty-four, and I even even that's too long. <laughs> I'm thinking sixty-four. God, I'd be old as shit. Like I, I don't want to live to that sixty-four. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think uh, to be honest, I think it's I think it's taken me nearly five years to sort of to get to the point where I'm okay with it. It's not been uh, like an overnight process. It's taken months, if not years, to be okay with the type of cancer that it is and, you know, the fact that it's terminal. And I just think that I hate when other people say it to me, but it's okay for me to say it to myself. You have to stay positive. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because when other people say it, I'm like, yeah, but you don't know.
0: (laughs) No, it feels feels dismissive of the weight.
1: Right, because, yeah, it's like tell me to stay positive Mm. (laughs) because it's almost as if you don't know how difficult this is and the weight of this is that's bearing on me. So it's it's saying that stay positive is very dismissive of what I'm going through because it's not easy to just stay positive when you're dealing with something Mm. of this weight and I think the, the hardest thing for me and the thing that makes me so I don't want to say sad but what plays on my mind the most is knowing that I have to leave people behind and what they're going to have what they're going to have to deal with and that that mm. breaks my heart more than anything because I, I'm not going to mm. like I'm not going to have to deal with that obviously but it's just knowing that that's going to happen. And that, that for me, that's the hardest part is just knowing that that's going to happen. Because mm. like, for me, oh, like I've, I've had a, for a 34-year-old, I think I've lived, like I've lived a lot, I think. Like I've done a lot of things that people that are probably 40 are never going to get to do or 50. So I'm, I'm fairly content with what I've done with my short 34 years. Um, there are still a lot of things that I would love to do. You know, uh, it's just, I think I'm, I just, I'm okay with like Tani, Tani for me, she's, she's been through thick and thin with me. And I don't want her to deal with any more pain than what she's already you know, had to deal with. So for me, that that breaks my heart more than anything.
0: And some of that heartbreak is the recognition of the love and the care that you have for those, Absolutely. those people who love you. Uh, where you were talking before about even your experience coming off X, X Factor and home and away and hanging out with people that maybe aren't those people but yeah. sometimes in these moments it's the, the heartbreak for because of the, the love and the care of those people around you. And you were talking about the value of perspective and giving right at the very start of this conversation around how that just inspires you. Even You were talking about Ellie who started Save Our Sons, yeah. inspires you and gives you those levels of perspective. And it doesn't take away the heartache and the heartbreak that you're describing, but it can give you that, what am I getting up for today? What am I doing this for today what is it that that is helping you in terms of like what's next you you your book is going out there into the world you're as you said right at the start wrote it because you want to start to open up conversations and share your own vulnerability and allow invite others to do the same yeah what is it that kind of helps you this week this month in terms of turning up for for what's next
1: uh, for me just knowing that there's somebody out there that's there's always somebody that's got it worse than you you know you might think like i'm i think oh whoa is me i've got i've got brain cancer this is the worst thing in the world but it's not you know a a good friend of mine uh started a charity called save our sons his son has duchenne muscular dystrophy which is a muscle wasting disease Mm. and the mortality rate for Duchenne is 100%. You know, most of these kids are lucky to survive past 20 or 25. And these are the the stories that, for me, it's like, mate, you're lucky. You're 34 already and you've lived a pretty decent life. These kids are, you know, 10, 11, 12, and in the next couple of years, they're not going to be able to walk. They're going to need uh, help just getting out of bed. And it's things like that that tell me just get up, get on with your day, get on with your day, do what you have to do, keep going, put one foot in front of the other because you're lucky compared to them. Keep going. Yeah, you are. Like mm. uh, just it's kind of like just keep pushing on. There's no finish line.
0: The name of your book is called No Finish Line. What does that statement mean for you?
1: Nobody knows when the end is. Like it's 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 kind of based around what I was saying. Yeah, the cancer may be terminal, but there's no finish line. There's no date. Nobody has an expiration date on anything, except the milk in the fridge and a slice of milk. <laughs> yeah, if you want to, if if you're offering a slice of milk, no thanks. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You don't want to have it after its expiry date. <laughs> Johnny, this conversation has been such a delight. If I if I just come with one final question for you. The name of this podcast is called Standout Life. When you hear that term, what does it mean to you to live a standout life?
1: Live life to the fullest, you know, just Do everything you can. You know, if someone says, let's go bungee jumping today or something like that, you know, do it. Just do it. Grab life by the horns, so to speak, (laughs) and just live it because we've only got one of them. So we may as well live it to the fullest, right?
0: I'd sign up for that for sure. (laughs) Thank you so much, Johnny. Um, I'm in with my... $20 Twenty dollars and uh, my uh, $40. my bonus lemonade That's
1: <laughs> for forty bucks. Yeah, well, and you get it for your encore, and you get a semi-sung song. <laughs> <laughs> but don't ask for a third. No, I'm gone in the car <laughs> halfway home. <laughs> Thank you for having me.